Hello everyone, I'm Kathleen Pally. Welcome to this special omnibus edition of Journey with Story. And in this special omnibus episode, you can listen to all four stories for this month, one after the other. And just so you know, there will be no special intro for the individual stories, no added details and no shout-outs. If you want to hear all of those, then you need to go and listen to the individual episode and not this version. Got it? Oh, mums and dads and grown-ups, you can download some free colouring sheets at www.journeywithstory.com. A big thank you to all of you who wrote reviews for my new picture book, Five Little Angels. And congratulations to all the winners of our contests. Be sure and check out our Instagram page to see a list of our winners and the fun prizes that they won. And don't worry if you didn't win a prize this time. We will be having some fun summertime contests for podcast-related prizes too. Let's take an Omnibus Journey with Story. Let's take a journey with Sweet and Sour Berries. Long, long, long ago, in the land of China, in a village beside a river, in a cottage near the woods, lived a little boy called Sai Shan and his mother. Now, even though Sai Shan was just a child, he had to work hard every day to help his mother. Every morning he fed the chickens, cut firewood, fetched water from the well and lit the stove to make breakfast. And for the rest of the day, he toiled in the fields alongside his mother. Now, the year that Sai Shan turned eight years old, A drought fell on the land. No rain fell. The soil grew parched and cracked. There was no food. Sai Shan's mother grew thinner and thinner. Every day she fretted and worried about how to feed her son. And then one day she became very ill. She could not even leave her bed. And so Sai Shan set off for the fields, hoping to find some wild cabbage that they could eat. But he had to return home empty-handed with a heavy heart. He had nothing to feed his poor mother. But as he entered the courtyard, he sensed something was wrong. All the chickens were gone. The door of the cottage was wide open, and inside, the tables and chairs were all overturned. Clothes, pots and pans and broken plates were scattered everywhere. Saishan hurried into his mother's room and found her lying on the floor. What happened, Mama? Some highwayman ransacked our cottage, panted his mother, trying to catch her breath. I tried to stop them, but one of them struck me down. Poor Mrs. Sai sobbed as Saishan helped her to climb into bed again. Then he went into the kitchen and checked the rice jar. Not a single grain was left. Sai Shan felt the horrible pang of hunger in his belly and his heart ached too because he knew his poor sick mother was just as hungry as he was. He had to find them something to eat. Perhaps 
If he went further into the woods, he would be able to find some wild berries. Wait here, Mamma, he said. I will go into the woods and maybe I can find some berries that I will bring home for you to eat. Sai Shan grabbed a basket from the kitchen and set off into the woods. He walked and walked and walked, but he found no berries. He walked and walked and walked even further, and finally he saw some wild berries on a tree. They were plump and ripe and shiny. He plucked one and put it in his mouth. It was sweet and juicy and delicious. He ate another and another and another. Then he stopped. Mama is still hungry. I must pick some berries for her. As he picked, he made up a little song. One for Mama, one for me, one for Mama, one for me. Soon his basket was brimming with fat, juicy berries. Mama, Mama! He cried as he charged into the cottage. See, I found some berries for you. Mrs. Sai slowly, slowly pulled herself up on the bed. She picked a berry and popped it into her mouth. It was delicious. She ate one after another after another until she was no longer hungry. My dear boy, she whispered, you are such a good child. Already I'm feeling much better. Don't worry, Mama. Tomorrow I will go back into the woods and gather more berries so we won't have to worry about food for a while. The next morning, Saishan grabbed two baskets from the kitchen and set off again for the woods. But when he came to the tree where he had picked the berries the day before, he burst into tears. There were hardly enough berries left on it to fill one basket. But then... He caught sight of another tree nearby that had some berries growing on it. They were a bright red colour. He plucked one and ate it. Ugh! It was sour. Oh, what shall I do, he wondered. There are not enough sweet berries for us both. Then he had an idea. I will put all the dark berries in a basket for Mama, and the red ones I will put in a basket for me. And as he did so... He sang another little song. Sweet for Mama, sour for me. Sweet for Mama, sour for me. When he had filled both baskets, he headed home. Sweet for Mama, sour for me, he sang as he walked along. But suddenly he heard a loud cry. A man dressed all in black and wearing a black mask leaped out from the bushes. He was a highwayman. You have to pay me for using my road, he shouted. Saishan began to cry. But I don't have any money. Please don't hurt me, he begged as he tried to hide the two baskets behind his back. 
The highwayman stamped his foot in anger. You're lying, he growled. What are you hiding behind your back? Just, just two baskets of b -b berries, stammered Saishan. Give them to me, ordered the highwayman. Saishan laid them down on the ground at his feet. The highwayman picked up a red berry and put it in his mouth. Oh, it is so sour. How could you eat this? He yelled. Then he picked up another berry. This time one of the dark black berries. When he tasted it, he smacked his lips and said, mm, Delicious! Then he ate another, and another, and another. There was no stopping him. Saishan began to cry again. You're eating all my mama's berries. She is sick. We are hungry. We don't have any food in the house. Stop crying, growled the highwayman. Big boys don't cry. I don't believe a word you're saying. If you are hungry, you can't be happy. But you don't look unhappy. I heard you singing just now. I was singing to remind myself to give all the sweet berries to my mama, said Saishan. The sour ones are just for me. Well, I have never heard of someone doing something like this. Why should I believe you? I am telling the truth, cried Saishan. I never lie. Not ever. The highwayman was silent for a moment and then he said, Let me hear you sing that song once more. So Saishan sang again. trickled down the highwayman's cheek. But why are you crying? asked Saishan. Big boys don't cry. This made me think about my own sweet mother, wailed the highwayman. I left her many years ago when I ran away from home. He wiped away his tears and pointed to the basket. You may go home now. Take your berries with you. Saishan picked up the baskets and ran home. He gave his mother the berries and told her all about the highwayman he had met in the forest. That night, Saishan and his mother woke up to the sound of footsteps outside, coming up the path to their door. They held their breath as they listened to the rustling sounds outside the door. But then the footsteps went away and all was quiet and still again. But all night long, Saishan and his mother lay awake too frightened to fall asleep. The next morning, when Sai Shan opened the door, a large bag of rice filled the threshold. A note hung from the bag. It read, I hope this bag of rice will help you and your mother get through hard times. Your friend from the woods. From that day on, no high woman ever came to that village again. And Sai Shan and his mother lived together in great peace and contentment.
Let's take a journey with the fisherman and his wife. Once there was a fisherman and his wife who lived together in a hut by the seashore. Every day the fisherman went out with his hook and line to catch fish. One day he was sitting with his rod looking into the clear water when suddenly his line plunged deep, deep, deep down to the bottom of the water. When he pulled it up, there was a huge fish on the hook. The fish said to him, Fisherman, listen to me, let me go. I am not a real fish, but an enchanted prince. What good shall I be to you if you take me? I will not taste very good at all, so please put me back into the water and let me swim away. Well, said the fisherman, no need to worry. Since you can speak, then I would rather let you swim away and leave you be. And so he dropped him back into the sea and went home to his wife in the hut. Well, husband, said the wife, did you catch anything today? No, said the man. That is, I did catch a huge fish, but he said he was really an enchanted prince, and so I let him go again. But did you not at least wish for something? asked his wife. Well, no. What should I have wished for? Oh, dear, said his wife. It is dreadful that we have to live in this hovel of a hut. You could at least have wished for a little cottage. I dare say he will give it to us. Go, quick, quick, ask him. When the fisherman returned to the spot where he had caught the fish, the sea was green and murky, not at all clear as it had been before, so he stood and called out. O man of the sea, come listen to me, for Alice, my wife, the plague of my life, has sent me to ask a favour of thee. At once the fish popped up and said, What does she want? My wife says I should have asked you for something when I caught you. She doesn't want to live in our hut any more. She wants a cottage. Go home, said the fish. She has it already. So the man went home and found, instead of a hut, a little cottage and his wife sitting on a bench in front of the door. She led him by the hand, saying, See, isn't this a great deal better than that hut? They went inside and cooed in delight to see the sitting room, a cosy little bedroom, a cheery kitchen and a larder, and outside a little yard with chickens and ducks and a garden brimming with green vegetables and all manner of sweet ripe fruit. Isn't this wonderful? said the wife. Yes, agreed her husband. If it will only last, we can be happy here the rest of our days. We'll see about that, said his wife. All went well for a few weeks. Then one day the wife said, Look here, husband, this cottage is altogether too small. I think the fish should give us a larger house. I would like to live in a grand stone castle. Go, go to your fish and ask him for that. Oh, good wife, wailed the man. This cottage is good enough for us. Why would we want a castle? Get along, ordered the wife. He might as well give it to us as not. Do as I say. Now, the man was reluctant to go. He said to himself, Oh, this is not right. But still, he went. When he came to the seaside, the water was purple and dark blue and grey and dark, not green and yellow as before. The man stood and called out, O man of the sea, come listen to me. For Alice, my wife, the plague of my life, has sent me to ask a favour of thee. Now, 
then what does she want? asked the fish, popping his head out of the water. Oh, said the man, startled. She she wants to live in a large stone castle. Go home, she's already standing in front of the door, said the fish. When the man arrived home, there, in place of his cottage, was a great stone castle, with his wife standing outside on the steps. She took him by his hand and led him inside. They stared in wonder at the marble floors, the passages decked with tapestries and rooms filled with golden chairs and tables. Crystal chandeliers hung from the ceilings. The tables were laden with all kinds of delicious food, and servants bowed down as they passed them by. At the back of the house was a stable for horses and cattle, and carriages fit for a king. Besides, there was a splendid garden, with sweet-smelling flowers, and rows of trees laden with the finest fruit. And as far as the eye could see was a huge park with deer, ox and sheep, and everything the heart could wish for. There, said the wife, is this not beautiful? Yes, said the man. If it will only last, we can be happy here for the rest of our days. We will see about that, said his wife. The next morning, the wife awakened at dawn, looked out of her window and saw the beautiful country lying all around. Husband, she called, look out the window. Just think, if we could be king over all this country, go to your fish and tell him we should like to be king. Now, wife, why should we want to be kings? I don't want to be king. Well, said the wife, if you don't want to be king, I will be. Go once to the fish. Tell him that I must be king. Again, the man was reluctant to go, and yet he went all the same. And when he came to the sea, it was quite dark grey, and the water heaved and billowed. And then he went and he stood by it and he called... O man of the sea, come listen to me, for Alice, my wife, the plague of my life, has sent me to ask a favour of thee. Well, what does she want now? said the fish. Alas, said the man, she wants to be king. Go to her, she is king already. So the man went, and when he arrived home, he found the castle had become a palace with a great tower and magnificent ornaments, and the sentinel was standing before the door, and there were numbers of soldiers with kettle drums and trumpets. And when he went inside, everything was of real marble and gold, with velvet covers and great golden tassels. Then the doors of the hall were opened, and there was the court in all its splendour, and his wife was sitting on a high throne of gold and diamonds, with a great crown of gold on her head, and a scepter of pure gold and jewels in her hand. And on both sides of her stood her maids in waiting in a row, each of them all was one head shorter than the last. Then the man went and stood before her and said, Ah, wife, and now you are king. Yes, said the woman, now I am king. So he stood and looked at her, and when he had looked at her in this way for some time, he said, And now that you are king, let all else be. Now we will wish for nothing more. No, husband, said the woman quite anxiously. I find time passes very heavily. I can bear it no longer. Go to the fish and tell him that now I am king, I must be emperor. Go once. If he can make a king, he can make an emperor. I will be emperor. Go instantly. 
So the man was forced to go. As he went, however, he was troubled in mind and thought to himself, it will not end well. It will not end well. Being an emperor is too shameless. The fish will at last be tired out. With that, he reached the sea, and the sea was quite black and thick and began to boil up from below, so that it threw up bubbles and such a sharp wind blew over it that it curdled, and the man was afraid. Then he went and stood by it and called, O man of the sea, come listen to me, for Alice, my wife, the plague of my life, has sent me to ask a favour of thee. Well, what does she want now? said the fish. Alas, fish, said he, my wife wants to be emperor. Talk to her, said the fish. She is emperor already. So the man went, and when he got there, the whole palace was made of polished marble with alabaster figures and golden ornaments, and soldiers were marching before the door, blowing trumpets and beating cymbals and drums. And in the house, barons and counts and dukes were going about as servants. Then they opened the doors to him, which were of pure gold. And when he entered, there sat his wife on a throne, which was made of one piece of gold and was quite two miles high. And she wore a great golden crown that was three yards high and set with diamonds and carbuncles. And in one hand she had the scepter and in the other the imperial orb. And on both sides of her stood the yeomen of the guard in two rows, each being smaller than the one before him, from the biggest giant who was two miles high to the very smallest dwarf, just as big as my little finger. And before it stood a number of princes and dukes. Then the man went and stood among them and said, Wife, are you emperor now? Yes, said she, now I am emperor. Then he stood and looked at her well, and when he had looked at her in this way for some time, he said, Ah, wife, be content, now that you are emperor. We will see about that, said his wife. With that, they went to bed. But the wife could not sleep for thinking about what she would like to be next. The following morning, as she sat before the window watching the sun rise, she said, Oh, I know what I must have. What if I should make the sun and the moon rise? Husband, she called, wake up, go to your fish and tell him I want power over the sun and the moon. Oh, wife, said the man, the fish cannot do that. Be contented, I beg you. Husband, said she, what nonsense. If he can make me an emperor, he can give me this power. Go to him directly. I am emperor, and you are nothing but my husband. Will you go once? So off he went as best he could. So full of fear was he. And a high wind blew over the land, and the clouds flew, and towards evening all grew dark, and the leaves fell from the trees, and the water rose and roared as if it were boiling, and splashed upon the shore. He stood by the shore, trembling with fear, and he called out, O man of the sea, come listen to me, for Alice, my wife, the plague of my life, has sent me to ask a favour of thee. What does she want now? said the fish. Alas, said the man, she wants to order the sun and the moon. Go home with you.
said the fish. And you will find her in the old hut. And there they both are sitting to this very day. Let's take a journey with the magic drum. Once upon a time, there lived a king who owned a magical drum. Some said this drum was the secret to the peace that filled his land, because whenever the king beat upon the drum, marvellous food and drink appeared. And so, whenever anyone declared war upon the king's land, he called his enemies to visit the palace. He sat before them and beat upon the drum. At once, a feast of fine food appeared on the table and the guests <gasps> gasped with amazement. After they had shared the king's feast, the enemies felt full and contented and forgot all about the reason they wanted to fight with this king in the first place. But... There was one catch to this. The owner of the drum could never step upon a fallen branch, for if he did, the juju, that is the magic of the drum, would disappear, and in its place, the owner would reap nothing but trouble. As the years passed, the king became a wealthy man. His palace stood upon the shores of the sea, and there he lived a happy life. Often, he invited everyone in the land to attend a feast, for he was as generous as he was wealthy. He included all the animals in these joyful parties too, for in those days the people and the animals lived in peace. Elephants, leopards, antelopes, zebras, giraffes and baboons all loved their king and everyone spoke well of him. As more and more attended the king's lavish parties, word spread around the country about the king's magic drum. Most were pleased, but there were some who envied the king. And everyone knows that no good ever comes from envy. One day, a tortoise was up in a palm tree cutting nuts for his family's meal. He was feeling rather sorry for himself, for he worked day and night to feed his family, and yet still there seemed never to be enough. Suddenly, one of the nuts he had cut fell to the ground. Now it happened that down below the king's wife was bathing in the stream and when she heard the nut fall, she turned. Ah, oh, that would taste good, she said, and without looking up she ate the palm nut. When the tortoise climbed down from the tree and saw the king's wife, he bowed his head. Excuse me, he asked, have you seen a palm nut here? One of mine dropped to the ground. Why, yes, she said, I ate it. 
I did not know that it belonged to you. Now, the tortoise had long envied the king's drum, and this gave him an idea. Dear lady, he said, I climbed that tree to get food for my family. We are awfully poor and I work hard, but now you've stolen our food. I'm afraid I must report you to the king as a thief. Now, theft was a serious crime, one of the worst. The king's wife quickly explained that she was married to the king, and if the tortoise wished to make a complaint, she would take him to the palace. She never meant to harm the tortoise, she told him. And so together they walked to the palace, and when the tortoise told the king what had happened, the king said, We are sincerely sorry. Please... Let me pay you for your loss. What would you like? Coins? Cloth? Oil? Beans? What would I do with coins? The tortoise asked. And cloth is something no tortoise requires. I do not like oil or beans, he snapped. You may have whatever you wish. Only name it, the king said. The tortoise pretended to think. All afternoon, he wandered around the palace, looking at this, lifting that, tasting, touching, and sniffing everything. And at long last, as the sun was setting, he looked at the king's drum and said, There, I'll take that drum. By now, the king was tired of the tortoise, and so he gave him the drum. But... He didn't tell the tortoise about what would happen if he walked over a stick on the road. Feeling very pleased with himself, the tortoise hurried home with the drum as fast as he could. I'm rich, I'm rich, he cried, and how happy his family was to hear that never again would they go hungry. Show us how it works, his children begged. At once the tortoise began to beat the drum. And there, before their eyes, appeared a feast fit for a king. They sat down and ate their fill, and every day for the rest of that week they continued to eat their fill at the table, eating with great gusto and savouring every morsel. The tortoise was so proud of his drum that he sent invitations to everyone in the forest to attend a feast. Before long, word spread of the tortoise's vast wealth, and the tortoise grew fat and lazy. He no longer worked. He simply ambled around the country, bragging about his riches to anyone who would listen. One day, as he was returning home, he happened to trip upon a stick. And though he did not know this at the time... The magic of his drum was instantly broken. He arrived home tired and hungry and his children were already begging for food. So the tortoise beat upon his drum as he usually did. But this time, instead of a table laden with fine food appearing, a swarm of enemies appeared and began to attack the tortoise and his family. 
So terrified was the tortoise that he gathered his family together and fled from his house. They headed to the riverbank where they hid beneath mud and grass and prickly palms and there they have lived ever since, eating only fallen fruits and snails and slugs and millipedes and grass. As for the magic drum, it was never seen again. No one knows what happened to it. But there are some who say the king himself crept back one night and took it to his palace, where it is kept in a special room as a reminder for all to beware of envious thoughts that reap no good. Let's take a journey with How the Tiger Got Its Stripes. In ancient times, when the tiger had no stripes upon his back and the rabbit still had his tail, there lived a tiger who owned a farm. The farm was completely overgrown with underbrush and so the tiger wanted to find a worker who would be able to clear the ground for him so he'd be able to plant. He called all the beasts together and he said to them, I need a good worker to clear my farm of the underbrush. Whoever can do this for me, I will pay him an ox. The monkey was the first one to step forward. I will do this for you, he said. And so the monkey went to work. But the monkey was lazy and did not put any effort into his task. And the tiger saw no progress as the days turned into weeks. So he told the monkey to leave and refused to pay him anything for his efforts. Then the tiger hired the goat, who worked faithfully enough, but did not have the brains to accomplish what needed to be done. He would clear a little of the farm in one place and then he would go away and work in another part of it, never finishing anything and making more of a muddle than before. So the tiger told the goat to leave and refused to pay him anything for his efforts. Next, the tiger tried the armadillo. Now the armadillo was very strong and he did the work well. The trouble with him was that he had such an appetite. There were a great many ants about the place and the armadillo could never pass by a sweet, tender, juicy ant without stopping to eat it. It was lunchtime all day long with him. So the tiger told him to leave and refused to pay him anything for his efforts. Finally, the rabbit offered to try. The tiger laughed at him <laughs> and said, Why, little rabbit, you are too small to do the work. The monkey, the goat and the armadillo have all failed to give satisfaction. Of course, a little beast like you will fail too. However, there were no other beasts that were willing to help. 
and so the tiger agreed to give the rabbit a chance. As it turned out, the rabbit was a hard worker. It did not take him long to clear a large portion of the ground, and the next day he set to work again and made great progress. The tiger was very happy and relieved to see how well the rabbit was working, and so much trust did he now have in the rabbit that he decided to set off on a little hunting trip for himself. Before he left, he put his son in charge of overseeing the rabbit's work. Soon after his departure, the rabbit asked the tiger's son, "'The ox which your father is going to give me "'is marked with a white spot on his left ear "'and another on his right side, isn't he?' "'Oh, no,' replied the tiger's son. "'He is red all over with just a tiny white spot on his right ear.' The rabbit worked for a while longer and then he asked, "'The ox which your father is going to give me "'is kept by the river, isn't he?' "'Yes,' replied the tiger's son. The rabbit plotted to go and get the ox without waiting to finish his work, but just as he started off, he saw the tiger returning, and so he thought the better of his plan. Instead, he stayed and continued to work with the tiger, now watching him every day. Finally, every single corner of the land was completely clear and ready for planting. As agreed, the tiger gave the rabbit the ox. But he warned him. You must kill this ox in a place where there are neither flies nor mosquitoes. Very well, agreed the rabbit and off he went. But after a short distance, the rabbit grew impatient and could not wait any longer. He decided he would kill the ox right there on the road. And just then... He heard a cock crowing in the distance and realised there must be a farmyard nearby. That meant there would be swarms of flies, and so he walked on a little further. Once more he stopped and got ready to kill the ox, but he noticed the ground looked moist and damp, and so did the leaves and the bushes. That meant mosquitoes lived there, and so once more he changed his mind and instead walked on a little further. When he came to a place where a strong breeze blew, he stopped and said to himself, There are no mosquitoes here, nor any flies. It will be safe to kill the ox here, surely. Just as he was ready to eat the ox, along came the tiger. Oh, rabbit, you have been such a good friend of mine, and now I am so very, very hungry that all my ribs show, as you yourself can see. Will you not be a good, kind rabbit and give me a piece of your ox? The rabbit gave the tiger a piece of the ox. The tiger devoured it in the twinkling of an eye. Then he leaned back and said, Is that all you're going to give me to eat? The tiger looked so big and so savage that the rabbit did not dare refuse to give him any more of the ox. The tiger ate and ate and ate until he had devoured that entire ox. The rabbit had been able to get only a tiny morsel off it. He was furious at the tiger and plotted to give him a taste of his own medicine as soon as he could. One day, not long after, the rabbit went to a place not far from the tiger's house and began cutting down big staves of wood. 
the tiger soon happened along and asked him what he was doing. I'm getting ready to build a big wall around myself, replied the rabbit. A big fence. Haven't you heard the orders? What orders? asked the tiger. I don't know what you mean. Oh, that is very strange, said the rabbit. The order has gone forth that every single animal must build a big fence around himself for protection. We're all doing it. The tiger became very much alarmed. Oh, oh dear, oh dear, what shall I do? He cried. I don't know how to build a fence. I never could do it in the world. Oh, good rabbit, good kind rabbit, you are such a very good friend of mine. Couldn't you, as a great, great favour because of our long friendship, build a fence about me before you build one around yourself? At first, the rabbit refused, telling the tiger that he did not dare risk his own life in such a way. But the tiger continued to plead and to beg, and so at last, the rabbit agreed. He started to cut down great quantities of long, sharp sticks. He set them firmly in the ground about the tiger. He fastened others securely over the top until the tiger was completely shut in by the strong bars on every side and on top. And then he went away and left the tiger. The tiger waited and waited for something to happen to show him why this big stockade was necessary. But nothing did happen. After a while, the tiger began to grow hungry and thirsty. It was then that the monkey passed by. Oh, monkey, has the danger passed? asked the tiger. Now, the monkey had no idea what the tiger was talking about, but still he replied anyway, Yes! Then the tiger said, Oh, monkey, good kind monkey, will you not please be so kind as to help me out of this fence? Let the one who got you in there help you out, replied the monkey, and he went on his way. In a little while along came the goat, and the tiger called out, Oh, goat, has the danger passed? Now, the goat had no idea what the tiger was talking about, but still he just replied anyway, Yes. Then the tiger said, Oh, goat, oh, good, kind goat, please be so kind as to help me out of this fence. Let the one who got you in there help you out, replied the goat as he went on his way. Next, along came the armadillo, and the tiger called out, Oh, armadillo, has the danger passed? Just like the monkey, and just like the goat, the armadillo had no idea what the tiger was talking about. But still, he replied anyway, Yes! Then the tiger said, Oh, armadillo, oh, good, kind armadillo, you have always been such a good friend and neighbour. Please help me now to get out of my fence. Let the one who got you in there help you out, replied the armadillo as he went on his way. By now, the tiger was angry and hungry and desperate to escape his prison, and so he jumped and jumped with all his force at the top of the fence. But he could not break through. He jumped and jumped with all his might at the front of the fence, but he could not break through. He thought that never in the world would he be able to break out. He rested for a little while, and as he rested, he thought, he thought how bright the sun was shining outside. He thought what good hunting there was in the jungle. He thought how cool the water was at the spring. 
Once more he jumped and jumped with all his might at the back side of the fence, and at last he broke through. He did not get through, however, without getting some bad cuts on both his sides from the sharp edges of the wooden posts. And so it is that until this very day, the tiger has stripes on both his sides. I hope you enjoyed that special omnibus edition of Journey with Story. And if you're looking for some ideas for further follow-up activities, maybe you can discuss what the story souvenir was for each story. Remember, the story souvenir is just that little glimmer of truth about what it means to be human and live in this world. Maybe you can make a drawing of your favourite episode and send it to me on Instagram at Journey with Story or on our website. Oh, and another activity that a lot of mums have shared with me their kids like to do is after listening to an episode a few times, children like to act it out. So you could get your brothers or your sisters or your friends together and put on a little play for your mums and dads to lighten their day. Oh, and mums and dads, you can get some other ideas for activities and storytelling resources from me if you sign up for my newsletter at www.journeywithstory.com. And if you subscribe to our Patreon page, you can enjoy even more perks and resources. Here's to stories aplenty that fill our hearts with grace and goodness, hope and light, so that we remember, as my favourite poet says, All shall be well. All shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Be well, my friends, be well, and join me next time for Journey with Story. Music and post-production was by Colette Jonas.